Hello and welcome to Sound Salad, where we toss around all things spoken and all things heard. Brought to you by Audiobooks New Zealand, New Zealand's leading producer of audio content. We hope that you will have a pleasant journey, and if we can add to your comfort in any way, please do not hesitate to press the call bell. Kia ora everybody and welcome back to episode 9 of Sound Salad. And today we are tossing it with a very, very dear friend of mine. I'm stoked to have her on board. She is not only a kick-ass writer, screenwriter, director slash filmmaker, academic slash Fulbright scholar, had to get it in there, and she's almost finished, maybe finished, I don't know, your PhD? I finished, yeah. Yes, okay, brilliant. And she's finished her PhD by creative practice in media, film and television at the University of Auckland, researching the topic Monsters, Lovers and Slackets, the liminal space, oh sorry, the liminal experience in Iranian diasporic cinema from 2002 to 2007. 17. Oh, she's also a current director and actor in New Zealand's longest running soap, Shortland Street. Had to get that one in there too. So it's all freaking exciting stuff, and we'll go into that a little bit more later on. But I'll let you take it from here to tell us a little bit more about you, Miss Ghazali Galbash. <laughs> Hello. <Yay! laughs> Thank you for having me, Romy. What a cool <laughs> intro. Um, wow. It's weird to hear that, like, read back to you about yourself, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's uh, that is stuff that I've done. And it's a very Kiwi thing to be kind of cringing about it at the same time, I yeah. think. You know? Totally. None of, like none of that is small stuff, Gaz. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and maybe like what what led you into into becoming a writer? What led you into the world of writing? Um, sure. I mean, so when I moved to um, moved here when I was about six years old um, from Iran with my parents, um, I didn't know any English, and so growing up. Um, uh, sorry, going to primary school, that was the first thing that I noticed <clears throat> was not understanding my teachers. Um, at times I was getting told off by certain teachers because I didn't understand the homework. Um, and so it became kind of like this personal um, this personal goal of mine to learn the language as, as soon as possible. And I guess for someone who's going to school and, and, and that age, it was a lot easier and a lot quicker for me to do that. And so I just started reading a lot. That was kind of my way in. Mm. Um, I read whatever I could find um, <laughs> and um, and that helped me kind of not just learn the language but also develop this love for for storytelling, which later I learned kind of is in my family. Like my mum actually wanted to be a writer when she was younger. So it's kind of in, <laughs> inherent in my genes if, maybe. Um, and so, yeah, so I read a lot. I was also watching a lot of TV and films. Again, my, my dad in particular was a big cinephile, so... Mm-hmm. Um, grew up watching a lot of films um, with him and, and and my friends, and so that was kind of the combination of the two helped me develop this love of of the written word, but also cinema as well. And I nice. guess I always knew I'd go into the arts. That was just kind of a, a no brainer. Um, I think at one point I wanted to be an astronomer, but then I, I realized you have to know maths, and, and <laughs> like a, like a typical artist, I'm terrible with maths and science so yeah it just numbers it's not gonna happen numbers I actually yeah. I hate numbers I hate them with a passion I think part of it was it, you know in, in school when I really struggled with this was the fact that there was only ever one right answer and for me yeah. that's just not how the world works <laughs> yeah yeah um, not to sound anti-science or anything I definitely believe in facts but um for my kind of passion I love the idea of writing essays yeah um or, or or thinking about things from a different point of view. Yeah. Um, and even in high school, I would write little novellas um, for for assignments or even for myself or friends. That's how much of a nerd I was. I would spend my spare time writing. Um, <laughs> and and then also I developed this um, obsession with becoming an actor, and I think that's the thing that a lot of young people do as well because you're watching these films, you're, you know, in seeing yourself in these worlds that are up there on the screen and, and so it kind of is it's um it's it's an obvious kind of choice I think because mm. you want to be part of that world and, and the easiest way to be part of that world is to be you know one of the characters and how do you do that is you become an actor 
Um, and so I started off when I was in my 20s going to auditions and doing that whole thing that I'm sure you know all about. <laughs> and Hey, you uh, do too, girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And I hated the fact that there weren't many roles, particularly for uh, women, particularly mm-hmm. for women of colour. Um, thankfully, that is changing now. But at the time, in the early 2000s, it was still very homogenous. Yeah. And, and also, there just wasn't a lot happening in New Zealand anyway. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe I can write these roles. And maybe that's a step into the film industry rather than going the acting way. Maybe I could go in the way of creating my own works. Yeah. And so that's kind of what led me into screenwriting and then directing my own works as well. Because sometimes you, you write something and it only makes sense for you to direct it, particularly if it's a personal story. Yeah, um, yeah. And on top of that, I just wanted to direct because, again, there's such a um, – there's such a focus on the lack of women directors. And so that mm. was like a personal challenge for me was to go into a role that where it's not expected um, for, for women to go into. Yeah. So that was kind of like my own little feminist um, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, uh, goal, I guess. Yeah. So that's kind of my journey in a, in a very long and broken way. <laughs> um, and at the same time I was going to academia as well. I was, I was kind of going via the university way. And so that's kind of how I became an accidental academic, as I like to call it. Yeah, no, totally. So you, I mean, you like you've done quite a lot of travels and things obviously for, for work and for studies. So um, when you were at Fulbright, that was that for, and also actually, sorry, any of those places where you were, where you headed to, um, were you, like back then, w- were you automatically and already seeking out those literary opportunities or hunting for the writing scene? Or were you sort of just like there to kind of gain life experience and focus on like sort of slightly different things, you know? I think a combination of both. I think traveling for me was um, was to just experience life because for me, the writers that I admired, you know, and I even had this romantic notion of becoming like a bit of a hobo and living in, in some... <laughs> run down flat in, in London with no work but smoking a lot and drinking a lot you know that real yeah. romantic poetic kind of mm-hmm. old school way of living which I think I did to an extent but I'm also from a very privileged background so thankfully it was never um uh, yeah. it was it was by choice in a lot of ways and I think you know again when you're young and you read a lot of these kind of books that's what you think a writer's life is and we all know that's not true there are different ways of living but I think the life experiencing is is very important and again that's also important in the arts um, in acting and filmmaking Mm. anything Um, because the whole idea around making stories or writing stories you know it's it's about it's about the world around us it's it's very hard to write about the world if you're living in your own little bubble or, or in a vacuum um so I think when people say you know write what you know it's not necessarily everything in the story has to be something that happened to you but it's yeah. kind of like something has to be rooted in a type of reality for people other people to then relate to it yeah and so for me like traveling kind of helped um push that further by you know like I I learned a lot about myself going to London and it was the first time I lived alone mm. away from my parents and just being in a city that's full of culture and art and all these books that I read and then you go and like, you know, like I read a lot of Oscar Wilde and suddenly you're yeah, like, yeah. there's a statue of him down in um, <laughs> Tottenham Court, you know, or, or yeah. you go to the Globe Theatre and you're like, oh, my God, this is where, you know, old school Shakespeare was written, even though it's not the same place, but it's the same yeah, spot, yeah. you know. Yeah, totally. Um, in history stuff too, like I'm a bit of a history nerd and I'd be like, oh, this is what we studied in high school and now we're at Henry VIII's palace, you know. Yeah. Um, so all these things kind of fed into my little knowledge base, but also I think it just helped me grow a bit and become worldly, as they say. And it's yeah, very yeah. cliche, but I think it's very true. Yeah, totally. Um, and in the Fulbright, actually, it was an accident in a way because I was doing my MA here in documentary um, under Annie Goldson, who's one of our finest documentary makers yeah and um Fulbright had a stand at the University of Auckland and I just happened to pass by and I got talking to one of the people who was running it and they just suggested you know if you want to ever study in the states this is the best way because you it's not only a funding um uh, program but it's also a very prestigious program Mm -hmm. which a lot of New Zealanders don't realize I think it's not that well known here um, but anywhere overseas, you've mentioned Fulbright, and everyone's like, "Ooh, it's kind of like the Rhodes Scholarship." Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like colonial background. <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like maybe a lot of our generation do know it because like, I mean, mm. I remember, I, I, I remember Fulbright scholars being mentioned on everything from like Sweet Valley High, like teen shows in the nineties, you know, like mm, it seemed maybe, to be like yeah, something yeah. that was, you know, quite, I don't know, for me anyway, perhaps it was, seems to be referenced maybe a lot more back then for well, us. Well, you're one perhaps. of the few people though that, that knew about, like, I, honestly, a lot of people just did not know what it is and it's quite crazy. Quite crazy, yeah. I mean, it's basically, it was put into place after World War II and it was a way for America to kind of um, bring together other nations. And one of the ways that Senator Fulbright wanted to do that was to exchange knowledge by um, bringing in exchange students on a scholarship Mm -hmm. who would study in the US and then take back what they learned to their own countries. So, for example, there's a caveat with the Fulbright and that you have to come back to New Zealand for at least two years. You can't just go to the States and stay there forever. Yes. Um, yep. Because the intention is to bring back what you learned. And mm-hmm. um, and so for me, that was, again, going to L.A., living in L.A. and and, and, and studying there. It was a really interesting insight into how the studio system works, into how Hollywood works, and learning that and then learning aspects of that and bringing it back to our own industry, which is, you know, quite different to that and and. and, and which is a good thing in some ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So again, that was another step in learning more. And we were just talking about how important it is to just keep learning no matter what your age. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so for me, it wasn't just, you know, getting the degree or, or whatever. It was all the other things that come with it. And I think that's something that people forget about academia and going to mm. university. It's not just you go there, you get the grades, you get the degree. It's it's you go there, you have you you live this kind of life as a student but you're also just feeding your mind and your life with these experiences and and um and learning about random things that you might not have the chance if you were just in, in some specific job yeah and I think that's the beauty of it um so I always encourage people to look at university as an option if they can um, yeah totally around the arts you know yeah and stuff that like Stuff that's vocational as well I think particularly because you know I mean we are such a you know student loan ridden or burdened I should say um mm. you know kind of generation I suppose and you know I I feel like it's really scary a lot of the time for people to completely decide not to bother because of that fact you know but definitely or 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 and this is even sadder to choose to do something like law or, or medicine or something that their parents wanted them to do or you know something that really doesn't kind of like blow blow their skirt up or you know mow mm-hmm. their lawn whatever the hell you want to say you know um <laughs> But actually, like, actually choosing to sign on to a creative course as a means of, like, finishing a project, I think is a really, really helpful way to go about it. You know, even if it's like a one-year creative writing course and you your goal is to finish, say, a memoir or a TV show or whatever, you know, I feel like, you know bugger the the money in that instance do you know what I mean because I don't know you you know as a as a maker and as a writer how satisfying and rewarding it is to know that you've actually just got something over the line you know absolutely. It's, and again, it's so it's, hard to just get it done half the time you know absolutely it's just it is sad that it is a very elitist kind of um uh, you know institution and that it is expensive and that it, and it is cutting off a lot of people who could do it but can't because of that and so that is something that they need to address and unfortunately that is a thing that is happening mm. um but again for myself I was lucky in that I could do that and I could yeah, afford totally. to take a student loan and um so I do have issues around that but I agree if you can do it it's mm. a great way to kind of go in and and you like you said finish a project like the master's program is great for that and I know someone who just recently did the master's program and and they had an idea for a short film they wanted to do the program because it would give them the um the support yeah. from not just you know a resources point of view but also from the supervisors and, and consultants mm. um they made their short film and now it's doing the rounds at you know festivals and, and so on so again it's another way it's so great to do that yeah yeah I feel as well though like you know I mean even if you do do the whole rigmarole of applying for funding or even just self-funding you know chances are what you're spending on a on a writing course or on a master's course for a year or two years you would easily spend on development funding on um like like consultancy on sorry development funding like um like just development work storylining getting your other writers on board getting your other mentors on board getting your script supervisor involved like all of the, you know, like mm-hmm. you would probably spend that anyway if you were to try and self-fund the production of something like that 
if you were doing it that whole sort of, you know, from 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 go to woe yourself, like, you know, it's sort of it's 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 interesting because it is a very very expensive um, medium, I suppose. You know, whether it's yeah. li- lit- literature or film or television, you know, like they are, you know, granted, mm-hmm. but yeah, there are there are many different ways to skin that cat. I feel, you know, absolutely, and I feel like with with literature, it's even more um, prominent. You know, you have. Um, the creative writing course at Vic, and then you have the one at Auckland Uni. And a lot of people who go through that do publish. You know, yes. if you look at some of the New Zealand books that have come out in the last few years, you look at the authors and that was their project uh, when they did the MA or, yes. or yeah. the undergrad program. So I think there is definitely um, something in that. And on top of that, you get you get the links to the industry. You know, your supervisors or your mm. lecturers are people who are already working in the industry. And they, they for me, have been... Um, you know, invaluable. Like, uh, you know, like I said, Annie Goldson was one. Shuchi Gothari is, is, was my supervisor and uh, my PhD, and she's a working filmmaker, screenwriter. And through her, I've been getting a lot of work in the last few years. Um, it's awesome. Because she's so well connected and has been in the industry for so long, you know, mm-hmm. and they see something in you and it's great. And it's like, as opposed to going around door knocking and trying to get into a production company, which is yeah, what totally. I did younger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's one way, though. That is one way. I'm not dissing it. Uh, mm-hmm. um, this is another way and again if people can do it I think it's a it's a really interesting step to take um, and like I said it's a very I wish everyone could do it mm. um, unfortunately I know that's not always the case but hopefully maybe one day you know education will be free <laughs> yeah I know god tell me about it eh? <laughs> so moving past education so on um, over those travels and also just your life here I guess you've had many different jobs slash occupations I'm not gonna well I can't but I also won't call them careers because they totally weren't but <laughs> in your in your recent memoir which we'll talk about um in a, in, in a moment you did m- speak of a couple of interesting jobs that you'd had in the past mm. do you want to enlighten us on perhaps some of the jobs that someone entering the arts may may uh, have to undertake in their in their, in their um, earlier life <laughs> there's been a few yeah again I think a lot of the jobs I took um were not connected there was no reason I needed to do them but I just like the idea of doing these work you know these jobs and just you know the experience of it appealed to me um you know even things like waitressing I found that yeah. really fascinating and just working customer service as much as I hated it it really gave you a sense of of the world and, and in some ways of being in the um, service industry. Um, and then, I, you know, I had extreme jobs. Like I, I worked in the broadcasters um, as a presentation director and a media operator. And, and part of the job was looking after the broadcast channels. And some of those channels were adult channels. So they broadcast <laughs> pornography, um, which is, you know, hilarious to think about, but it, you know, there were elements of it that were quite serious and quite disturbing. Yeah, God, uh, I we don't have time to go through that today, but um, it's it makes for a fun story. That's, just, that's <laughs> such that. a massive undertaking, yeah. eh? I feel like people people doing that for YouTube must see some shit. Yeah, God, I, mean, we like, oh, I don't even want to think about the internet. Like ours was quite controlled in a lot of ways. It yeah, right. Like the wild west that the internet is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, overall man. it was it was you know it was funny and you just think about it makes you think about humanity and, and the world yep. and the things that we enjoy and, yep. and just, you know getting a bit philosophical about it is quite fun um yeah. but at the end of the day it was it was kind of it, it it made me think about the ugly side of humanity and so as a way to kind of counter it or to um, contrast it I watch a lot of Disney films and a lot of um, One Direction pop videos (laughs) just to kind of see the beauty of the world as well or the the naive kind of positive spin on the world that you don't necessarily get from something as um, gritty and real uh, real as as pornography (laughs) yeah slightly Um, less romantic yes I think that's it I think because I'm a romantic at heart I like to see (laughs) pretty things and I like to see the world in a in a positive way a lot of times even though yeah. a lot of my writing can go to a dark space but that's mm. also you know being an artist we kind of like the two extremes don't we yeah I feel like we mm. like to go from one end to the next again it's kind of giving you that scope that full scope that you want mm. yeah totally um jumping back to the memoir then so it was published just after lockdown last year, 2020, uh, The Girl mm-hmm. Revolution Road. 
I remember when this was just an idea around your table outside your flat and it was so great because you were like, my friend's doing a memoir. Fuck it, I'll just do a memoir. I could do a memoir. It was like from there, boom, off you go. And it and it's and it's here and it happened. And you know. So yeah. um tell the listeners because they didn't get that same privilege. Um <laughs> so how did that all come about beyond what I've just said? Um and what was it like approaching and then being accepted by Ellen and Unwin as 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 publishers? Like what was the whole shebang like for you? I, I kind of love that. That was kind of the idea. And that's something that, you know, I think is important is you have an idea and you you pursue it. And that's that's half of the the battle is is being persistent and pursuing it. It's one that everyone can have an idea, but not everyone will follow through. Mm. Um, obviously, I'd always wanted to publish. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, anyone, you know, it's still seen as such a prestigious, amazing thing to to publish a book. Um, I just never had an idea for a novel, and so I'd been reading a lot of um, personal essay books, like Rose Liu's book, Ashley mm-hmm. Young's book. And that kind of inspired me to think, oh, maybe this is a form that I can get into because I've been writing articles like for the spinoff and Bill and East for a while and it was kind of something similar. And I knew the way I wrote was very, um, was quite simple but also very personal. So I thought this would be a great way to kind of maybe approach a publisher um, with some of the ideas I had. And I had a couple of short stories in my head that I wanted to write like a personal essay. And so yeah. I wrote... Um, I wrote an example of it, which became um, The Legend of Seven Men and Seven Women, which is the second chapter in my book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wrote that over an Easter weekend where I was house-sitting at a friend's um, house. This was Easter last, uh, sorry, 2019. Hmm. And um, then I did some research. I asked a friend who works in publishing who she recommended um, and if publishers here even accept unsolicited uh, manuscripts, which a lot of them do, and that's the beauty of New Zealand is that because we're so small, you don't have to jump through so many hoops. You don't have to go through managers and agents necessarily. Oh, really? Um, so in terms yeah, of like, which is great. What, 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 what does unsolicited mean for peeps who don't know? So unsolicited is if you approach an agent or a publisher um, without having been already introduced. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like, like cold calling or, or cold door knocking. Right. Um, and some places don't accept that, including in you know acting agents sometimes don't do that. Yeah, they for sure. Recommended by someone. Mm. Um, whereas I think the publishers I looked at here accepted, you know, you like Alan and Unwin had a very specific um, form on their on their website, which was great. And mm. my friend also noted, you know, um, part of it is selling yourself and who yes. you are as a writer and an artist, because that's also mm. what they look for. And so the form kind of asked a lot of that, but also, you know, what you want your book to be. So I had a one-page proposal of what I um, thought the whole book would be about, even though I hadn't written it. So there are two ways. You can either go in not having written the whole thing, or you can go on with a full manuscript. Mm -hmm. Um, So I approached Alan Unwin um, and a couple of others, um, and they all accepted, you know, unsolicited um, proposals. And Mm -hmm. it was interesting because one of them never got back to me. One of them did, and they had this really lovely email um, telling me what I needed to work on, and I could resend my proposal and essay at a later date if I if I took on their edits. Yeah. And then Alan and one came back straight away, um, so cool. um, and saying, "Yeah, yeah, we're really excited." <laughs> um, and so that was like a way in for me. And I know that's not always the case. A lot of it's timing. A lot of it's luck. Again, you know that from the film world. Mm. Um, Alan and I were specifically looking for a project like this at that yeah. time. And so that's where luck comes into it. But again, I say luck um, with, with you know, a, a bit of persistence as well. Yeah, absolutely. Putting yeah. that work out. Um, and Jenny Helen and Alan and one is amazing. She's, you know, everyone, you talk to anyone in the publishing world and they'll tell you how much they love her. So I was very lucky to have her as my publisher. Cool. She, um, you basically get it in advance and then you have a deadline. I had a year to write it. Um, I was doing my PhD at the same time. So I did kind of faff about a bit with it. And then suddenly we were in lockdown in March 2020 and I was like, oh, my deadline's coming up. <laughs> so I wrote a lot of it in that deadline, yeah. which was great because it gave me something to do. Um, and then it came out in September last year. I didn't have a launch because we were in lockdown again. So that was uh, a bit sad, but that's okay. It still mm-hmm. came out. And, and again, Alan and Alan had their own publicity team. And so there was a lot around that. Um, they helped push the book out into yeah. the world, got good media. And, um, and it, you know, and, and even that was an interesting experience to learn how to work with media. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and then from there you go to writers' festivals, and that was new for me as well. So all of this was a new experience and it was, it was great fun, um, but also an interesting kind of foray into how things work. Yeah, for um, sure, eh? Like the whole business side of it, right? Exactly, and that's mm. something I know a lot of us artists can struggle with. You know, it's one thing to love directing or to love writing, but if you want to make it a career, you have to learn the business side of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. For a lot of us who are introverted um, yeah. or simply just hate that that kind of selling side of it, mm. you need to, I think, really um, get over yourself in the, yeah. in the harshest way of saying it. No, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and do it because that is part of the career. We have to get better at being a bit more American, eh? Really, like, I and I so. say that I yeah. say that I say that with regards to the fact that a lot of people in other parts of the world, inclusive of New Zealand, will speak about Americans and their culture as being arrogant or like aggressive, you know, like upfront, like mm-hmm. they, you know. But we're trained in the acting scene that that American approach is confidence. That's Absolutely. what that reads as on a screen, on a stage, in terms of where your job sits. It does not read as arrogance. It's the Kiwi, tall poppy, whatever the shit that thing is, that mentality that has trained us to think that. That is, you know, it's 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 done us such a disservice, I feel, because so many artists, like like you say, the, the business part of it is so important. But ironically enough, the business side of it, a lot of the time is networking. And hmm. I call it foyer fucking, excuse the French, but you know, and, 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 and well, it's, it's a real intricate art and it can be really difficult if you don't know how to do it. And and you can really put your foot in it if you don't know how to do it as well. You know, Mm. I think it can be quite a daunting thing. I think a lot of it, and I know for me, this is true, is, is we're kind of almost afraid of using our own voice. And the first time I ever realized this was in the States when I was in class. And I remember the teacher pulled me up afterwards and she, and she said, you know, why don't you ever speak up? I said, well, I have nothing to say. She said, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Americans are getting taught, like, you know, through school. You have to speak up, even if you have nothing to say, which I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing either. But, I, you know, again, taking some parts of that and applying it to to myself, and that really did help my confidence. And it's, you know, there's a saying that if if you are running after a bus and you you nearly miss it, um, uh, sorry, let me repeat that. If you're on the bus and the bus um, goes past your stop, a lot of Kiwis wouldn't yell out, hey, stop. Yeah. We just sit and go to the next stop, you know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah. Like that's part of that, being afraid of your own voice. And and Australians are good at it too, and that's why a lot of them. Um, I don't know if it's just our culture or just being smaller. I don't know what that's linked to that's beyond the scope of my knowledge. Yeah, but, totally, me too. Yeah, but I agree. It's, it's, it's a confidence thing, and I think we shouldn't be so afraid of it, and we definitely shouldn't bring people down when they are um, doing it well. Yeah, totally. Mm, well, another question. Have you considered getting it made into an audiobook? We're, we're working on it at the Blind Foundation after I've spoken to you about some pronunciation stuff, actually. We still need to do that. <laughs> um, but but has it has it been something that's crossed your mind or anything that you've thought about? Because there's an e-version available, eh? Yes, there's an yes. e-version. And it's just going to be released on Amazon in the States in October, actually, which is exciting. Even cool. though I have some issues around Amazon. Um, um, but... <laughs> Oh, ebook would be great. Like anything that's accessible, I yeah. think more accessible is is right up my alley. And I yeah. actually remember a review, the very first review I got of the book uh, made me so mad because the reviewer was basically wanting some kind of academic look at life in exile and diasporic kind of things. And and she was basically ripping into my writing saying it was like an undergrad essay because it was so simple and, and basic. And I was like, wow. well, that's the point. Like I want this book to be accessible. It's not mm. for... You know, again, I don't want this elitist snobbery around it. I want it for 15-year-olds, 12-year-olds to be able to read it or people who don't necessarily want to read something, you know, um, full of hard words or or things that maybe, you know, it it just made me really mad that that, that people are still thinking of it from this very elitist point of view. And accessibility is something we really need to approach. And obviously other forms of accessibility as well, like having Mm. it as an audio book or, working for the with the fine foundation you know yeah, yeah. great i love that yeah. i think we need more of that is um i wonder i mean i don't I've, i have no idea about this I'm, I'm not a published author i've never worked with a publisher but um i wonder is that is that something that they would they would have to sort of jurisdict or, or i think um, so it's in the contract eh? yeah yeah i think so it all depends yeah. on how much demand there is for it yeah sure yeah so if there was a demand for an ebook uh, for an audiobook 
um, then yes, then it would it, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Then it would go for it. Interesting. Hmm. I know it's been um, printed in big big print as well, which is great for certain yeah, yeah. I have the big print now. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Well, what we're um, currently in the midst of, coming out of, <laughs> is another lockdown. Uh, mm. So with this with this book being sort of, a, a you know, a product of our concentrated indoor time last, last year with that lockdown, um, there is, I do find it quite um, funny, and I love that, that there's, there's a chapter in here that gave me so many reminders. Um, it's called Love in the Time of Corona. It includes like some dating stories from different periods in your life. And it includes reflections on the dreaded app culture. And I mean, we've, we've spoken about that to death. I think most women probably have, to be honest. Um, but the segments in Aotearoa, New Zealand about the notorious Tinder bingo game. I mean, shit, I was so happy. I was like... Yes, I never ever got that app until that game was spoken about, and then it was just all over. You need to buy the book or like see the book or something to just be able to read how to play that game. It will make your life and every Friday night from here on out amazing. It will. Um, but what <laughs> what I want to take from that more, I think, is um, that I think it's really interesting. I think it's really nice as well to see how timeless some of our lockdown literature may end up in the long run, like reading, re, like rereading through that chapter now. And sure, you know, we are coming out of like, it's literally a year after and we're coming out of the exact same sort of scenario, more or less, you know, but I feel like because I read the novel when we weren't in lockdown and that, that will, that will be a timeless experience that I think most of us will be able to sort of um, key into quite quickly. You know what I mean? It's just mm. sort of like it just came to me really. Um, and you mentioned there was there's a little segment at the end that I love about how um, the isolation has surged the use of online dating apps during the pandemic, but how you know like kind of wonderful humanity as I suppose that even in the midst of a terrifying human catastrophe, the intention to find someone is still there and to connect even via a video with a total stranger. You know, um, but from from having written a lot of this this memoir last lockdown and then obviously working as you do tirelessly over over all of your projects and this lockdown have you noticed that your that your writing style or anything like that has changed like is there anything different that sort of informed this period indoors versus last period i i hope so and i think that's important for writing to continually change and develop i haven't done as much writing i'll be honest um <laughs> But what I do is normally I, I read a lot, whether it's if I'm going to screenwriting, you know, it's a totally different mode. And so I need to get into that mode. I'll yeah. read a lot of scripts or watch a lot of films. Um, in the case of the, the essay writing, I wrote a lot of, I, I read a lot of essay books. And then, and I think just for me, it's kind of getting into that mode. Like I'm reading a lot of novels at the moment. Mm. Um, and it's it's like exercise, right? Like if I don't write for a few weeks, then I feel like I sit down on the computer and I just nothing comes to me. Yeah, totally. Um, or I'm writing and it's just I can't think of, even think of the words. And yeah. it's a real struggle. So I think this lockdown in particular, and I know it's the same for a lot of people, it has been a lot harder. Yeah, but that totally. could also be because I don't have a specific project with a specific deadline to yeah. work on. Yeah, totally. Um, I know. Gosh, we love a deadline, eh? Love a deadline. I love, love a deadline. deadline. <laughs> um, do you think do you think um a sort of like similar question, I suppose, in a way, do like the the writing styles and language and, and and word choice that you have particularly, do they translate between like literary writing to screenwriting to you know when you write scenes for theatre or you know do do you think that your voice is obvious in 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 like a cross genre sense? I think so. I wasn't. I didn't personally know, but um, people mm. have told me it's very much a visual way of writing, and so they can see why I'd be. And, you know, they, they can see the link between me as a filmmaker and, and the way yeah. I write, very visual. Um, and so, you know, if I came to write a novel, I would have to think of it in a very different way because novels are obviously all about internal thoughts and, and yeah. processes. Um, so that will be my next challenge <laughs> when that day comes. Uh, so exciting. So are you working on a novel? Um, working is a, is a very loose term yeah, at this yeah, stage. Yeah. I would say we're at ideation stage. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Cool. I love um, that. Yeah. That's so awesome. I want to take time with it because with the, with that one, you know, a lot of the stories are already there and I, you know, it was pretty much written in about four or five months and this one I want to take, you know, the typical 
maybe a 10 year, no, maybe not 10 years, but, uh, you know, a couple of years at least to work yeah. on. Yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. Um, you've also been, I mean, obviously your, your PhD is now done, but as, as part of the PhD, you, you were working on um, a feature film script that with, with Ainsley Gardner of Misconception Films. So how is that going? I mean, obviously that was part of your PhD and with that being finished, your feature film script is finished. Is that right? Yes. Um, this is a little nice little um, anecdote for our, for our listeners. Is when I originally wrote that, it was in the States in 2012 and I wrote it for myself and, and you, Romy, and the character was called Romy. But then as the <laughs> years so progressed, cool. we got too old. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the story changed and, um, you know, it's based on two um, 21-year-old Iranian um, women who grew up in New Zealand, but they're 21, but they act like they're 16 and they go on a road trip um, as a way to kind of um, grow up and, and develop their friendship. But what they learn is that being independent and not being afraid of the world is what they need to do. Um, mm. And it's it's been great developing it over eight, nine years now. Um, and with someone like Ainsley, who's incredible as a storyteller, but also we kind of bonded over the fact that we, we, we're on the same page when it comes to the story, you know, and whatever ideas she gives, I'm immediately like, yes, that's exactly it. Cause there's nothing worse. And I'm sure you've had this than working with someone who thinks in a different way to you. And you're just not mm. meshing when you come to ideas, like you're someone else who I love working with because you bring amazing ideas, um, to the table, but also ideas that you know work for the story, therefore I agree with. And actually some sure, of the scenes yeah. in, in the script came from a bit of, um, I remember we were chit-chatting in Wellington yes. uh, a while back and those scenes are still in there. So yeah, um, I can't you know, wait and, to see what ends up happening with the <laughs> yeah. production of that. Honestly, it's going to be so exciting to see that come we're to fruition. We're in advanced development. So it's, you know, I know it's, a, it's such a movie thing to be like, yeah, it's going in a really good direction. It's an advanced development. It's like an ongoing joke. But no, I think it is. It's <laughs> progressing and we're hopefully going into production soon. Yeah. We have the key cast. Um we have two young, amazing um, New Zealand um, actors who are hopefully, we're, we're, you know, going to be playing these roles, and it's just exciting. And that's so it's cool. a fun, it's a fun comedy coming of age story. So even making it will be fun, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've worked on a few things together over the years. Yes. I think we first met on Richard the Third. Uh, somewhat semi-awful um, production at <laughs> the University of Auckland all those years ago. Um, but, you know, I have I have some rad photos of us from um, your Melbourne Women's Film Festival short film Waiting Room. I'll probably use it mm. for the image for this ep because why not? But that also starred um, Roxy Mohebie, who's also on Shorty Street at the moment. Is that right? Yes, she is. She's playing so Amy cool. Doctor. Um, and she's also going to be my lead in the feature. So she's yes. my little muse. Yeah. I was going to see that. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought I'd drop her name in and see if that was going to happen. Yay, go, Roxy. Yeah. Um, well, we also spent a few years typing up some epic, like, well, just so many documents, treatments, PDFs, scripts, storytelling docs, storylining docs, sorry, for a TV show idea of our own that we had stumbling home one night after seeing a particularly appalling play. Um, <laughs> do you have, question in that, was do you have any other episodic or like television style ideas in the pipelines? You know, like if there's a novel in the pipelines, feature films in advanced development, given that you're working in, in television and that you're directing television and stuff, is that something that I you're do. working on? I do. I do have a um, production that's kind of in development at the moment. Again, it's very much in the early stage of ideation, but um, working with a, a um, showrunner, and so it's great. Um, very early stages, but that is kind of, you know, the direction I want to go in. Even though I like directing, I think, particularly with TV, um, being a creator or a showrunner, I mean, we don't really have showrunners here, but it, per se, they're not called showrunners, but that's what they do. You know, yeah. for example, like Ollie Driver and Maxine Fleming of Shortland Street are pretty much showrunners. Yeah, to get yeah, into sure. that stage would be really cool where you create the, the the TV show, you might maybe head the writing team. Um, you, you know, you, I, I think I like that because as a writer, you have a lot more control over the work rather than in film where if you're not directing, you're kind of writing and then and then you hand it off to the director and the rest of the team and yeah. that's it. You're kind of no longer really there, which is fine in some projects, but when it's a real personal project, it's nice to be kind of in control of it a bit yeah. more. And, again, I think it's something important 
um, for women and women of colour because we consistently have not been in those spaces or in those roles. And totally. again, it's a personal kind of um, goal of mine to to get there, to prove that we can, first of all, and secondly, to help bring in more underrepresented um, people into those roles because those are the people who are, um, you know, choosing what goes on screen, choosing what yeah. stories get told. Um and saying that, also the networks, we need we need to hopefully bring in more yeah. people in those, you know, the For people sure. with the decision yep. decision making roles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll get. I reckon we'll get there. It's just taking its time at the moment. But yeah. I think in a place like New Zealand, we have the opportunity to do that. So hopefully, hopefully we are going that way. Yeah, totally. I feel like you know because a lot of us are artists and a lot of us work in an isolated sense. Um, the sort of approach with that has kind of come from like the bottom up historically. Mm-hmm but I feel like we're moving more into a territory where we're recognizing that the change systemically has to come from the top down. Like, you know, the CEOs that aren't interested in saying a pepeha and that kind of shit, you know, like we really need to be changing it from up there for anything, for any capacity for any of us bottom rungers to be able to kind of, you know, have a, have a sort of seat at the table, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you because I, it is changing but it's taking a long time, but it is changing, yeah. which is positive. But you need, we need to be in that system in order to change it. And I, and that's, you know, yeah, it comes from, I think it was like a, I love the story. It was a, um, one of the Bader Meinhof gang members in Germany who decided to become part of the green party in Germany, because he was like, we can't just fight them from the outside. You have to be in that system in order to make the changes. Yeah. And right. I I don't even know. If, sorry, I might be wrong. He might not have actually been in the bottom of my house, but he was definitely a radical, yeah. like <laughs> against the system kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> one of us, um, man. One of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not to the extreme of being a terrorist, but that's, no. You know. <laughs> no, we're not that bad. <laughs> um, so, w- when it comes to inspiration and, and coming up with some of those ideas and stuff. I mean, for example, we know they can come from Stumbles Home after shitty plays, um, sitting around tables brainstorming on Waiheke Island, bitching and moaning long enough about what we don't want to see to force us into action. But when it comes to where your like, creativity and um, the sort of drive behind your ideas, because you have very specific ideas and very um, very you ideas, you know, what are, what are your sort of like methods for idea creation and things? I honestly have no idea. Um, I don't necessarily. Or naturally amazing. <laughs> no, I, nece- I don't necessarily believe in inspiration, I think. Right. You, you know, sometimes it, you, you might get an idea just before you go to bed or you might be doing a mundane job where you're not necessarily thinking of it um, and it's some, something comes to you. But I think, again, a lot of it comes down to work. Um, yes, yeah, yeah doing, yeah. doing the work. If you're sitting there in that zone, in that mode, writing something, then obviously – things will happen you can't just suddenly be like oh I'm waiting for inspiration it's always I, I read somewhere that that's one of those bullshit kind of things that people use as an excuse not to sit down and to, to do kind of procrastinate or, or to be lazy not to say that you should always be working I hate the idea that you have to always be productive as well I don't think yeah. that's great but I think inspiration is a combination of things um and and one of those things is actually doing the work and mm. You know, whether it's a ritual of sitting down at your desk, having a coffee and then doing it um, or whatever. Um, yeah. And just surrounding yourself with with those works. Again, you can't be expect, you know, you can't expect to write a screenplay without ever having read one. Exactly. Or, or you know, it's the same as like who, who writes a book without ever having read books in that specific genre or, or similar books. Yeah. Um, and that can be inspiring as well. Like that's what, kind of what happened with my um book yeah totally yeah I've um I've often you know pulled out old manuscripts and things like that that I was halfway through or what you know after I've read a really really captivating novel and I've just gone yes that's something that needs to go in there you know and you just get a whole other flood of ideas and like just influence really eh? it's yeah that's, that's it. awesome it's from anywhere yeah that's and why I, think I it, can't pinpoint it I think it also kind of keeps the artist humble you mm. know like there's one playwright in this town whose name I won't mention, who um, has, you know, said many times to me that he doesn't like to go watch other plays or see other playwrights work because he doesn't feel the need to for his for his voice, you know, and his work. Which, I don't know, one could sit on one side of the fence and agree with that, if maybe. Um, 
for me, I feel like there's a certain element of hubris in that or something, you know, like mm. it, it keeps you humble to go and support your local playwrights and it keeps you humble to see what their voice is and what their story is, I guess, you know, I don't know, like, yeah, but exactly like you say, how can you expect to write a novel if you haven't really like exhausted yourself in, in other writers and in their processes and in their tombs or their novellas, you know? Again, yeah. but it's also, yeah, like I think knowing what's out there as well is important because unless you're writing for yourself, in which case that's a hobby and that's fine, but mm. if you're writing and, and for other people, which is a readership or an audience who are out there in the world, then you need to see what else is out there in the world. You know, yeah. it's not just your work that's coming out. You can't just write in a vacuum. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's super selfish of people thinking, you know, it's one thing not to go out there, maybe you don't want to be influenced by other people's work, that's fine. Mm. But to not know what's actually happening out there, is, I think it's, it's a disservice to, yeah. to your work. Totally. I'd agree with that. So we're sort of a little bit over time, I'm mindful now, but I've just got a few more little quick ones. Um, So what was, or do you remember your first audiobook experience or like your first experience of like oral storytelling? Do you have Um, a recollection of that? What was it and when was it? I don't necessarily think I can remember the the, uh, specific time, but I know, you know, oral storytelling is quite prominent in, in my family and, and maybe that's an Iranian thing I'm not sure but um, I love you know sitting with my aunts and, and parents and reminiscing about certain stories in their lives and actually a lot of those um, that's kind of how they came into my book was through these old kind of histories that we would sit around and talk about and it's an interesting way of thinking about the past because it's like a collective memory you know Mm. one person might not remember a certain thing and the other person will pipe in and be like oh yeah and then remember that happened they're like oh that's right and they're kind of piecing it together um, as a group which is which is exciting and I love it because a lot of the you know the stories either I wasn't there I was too young to remember so it's quite nice hearing about it Mm. um and I think, yeah, I think it is culturally and, you know, maybe we have that that similarity to, to, to Maori culture. I'm not sure, but it's a very, like, telling stories, you know, when you're sitting around with the family or the whanau. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's just in me inherently and maybe that's, again, why I was quite drawn to the arts because that's what the arts is, right? It's storytelling. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's so cool. So, I mean, you've sort of jam-packed us with a bunch of gems, but if there was anything else that you would give um, by way of advice to other young writers out there, particularly living in the diaspora, particularly women, about getting amongst the writing scene or yeah, the think... television scene or that, you know, I mean, <laughs> God, you are in all of the scenes. Like, is there, is there you know, in, term, like in terms of your sort of um, go-to, you know, if, if, mm-hmm. if, a, if a student came up to you and was like, I've got this idea for a book, I want to get it published, what do I do, you know? I think there are two main points that I've learned over my what, two decades of work now? <laughs> um, I would say the first one is have content. You know, mm. I think that's even more obvious now because everyone has content. Yeah. But have content you believe in and, um, you know, don't just do it for the sake of doing it. But because people are so savvy now, they know what works and what doesn't. For example, um, you know, even writing a proposal to get funding for something, the more specific and personal you can make it, the more the reader will relate to it. Yeah. I feel that that's true with most artworks is, is the more you put yourself in it, the more other people will enjoy it because we like relating to other people, whether we admit it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's what people mean maybe when they say be authentic in your work. And it's a very snobby kind of <laughs> term, yeah, yeah. but I, I do believe it has some, um, it, it has some precedence and make the content and, um, you know, put the work in to get it out there, like do the yeah. research. Um, no one's going to come to you, you know, unless you're already established. Getting shoulder tapped is rare. Yes. So go out there and, and find the people. And and again, we're lucky here in Aotearoa where we're small enough that you can meet these people. Like, again, I met Ainsley at a story lab and she's one mm. of our top producers in New Zealand. Um, I didn't have to go through her assistant or, or her manager or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then secondly, I would say that it takes time. Um, and particularly when you're young, you want everything to happen now. I, I mean, I still do. So it's not even a yeah, new totally. Thing. <laughs> yeah, but um, for a day like you know, an age of digital immediacy. Eh? Exactly. You know, and there are people who do suddenly become famous, but that, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. 
But if you want to actually establish a career, it will take time. Like I said, I've been doing this for, you know, at least a decade now. And mm. only in the last two or three years have things suddenly fallen into place. There yeah. are, you know, weeks and months of rejections and you just got to keep doing it. But it will take time. But if you persist and continue and know that this is what you want to do, then it has to fall into place. But don't think that it will happen like within a year or whatever. Yeah, People yeah. have been doing it for years. I've been hustling for a long time. It doesn't just happen overnight. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess the third thing is it's okay to suddenly change your mind. You might not want to do what you want to do in your 20s or 30s and suddenly you're like, actually, I don't want to be a writer. I want to do this. Yeah. And that's okay too. You know, I don't, I don't believe in that whole like, rhetoric that we've been fed through films where oh she wanted to be a famous writer when she was five and that's all she ever wanted to do and so yeah that's all she ever did it's like mm, it's okay to change <laughs> yeah I know right well we wanted to be famous actresses at five <laughs> look where we exactly look where okay, we are. <laughs> a million other things right <laughs> I say I gave that up I had to do a self-tape the other day so no hey babe you're in our longest running now. soap okay you're fine <laughs> I love it. I love it. Show it to your younger self to kind of now that you get the opportunities, you're like, oh, I'm going to do it because my younger self would have killed for this opportunity. I know, exactly. And we've spoken about this before as well, eh? About how, like, oh, all of a sudden I don't give a shit and I get a bunch of opportunities. Like, how does that work? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I know. All right. Well, lastly, how can people find you? How can they find your book, et cetera? I mean, like you are for hire, you're a freelancer, right? So (laughs) when have I not been a freelancer? Um, (laughs) I'm happy. Like I have people emailing me for for random things. I've helped students on projects. Um, My website, kazaligolbash.com is probably a good start. Um, I will pop that in show notes to people. Thank you. (laughs) My book is still um, available at all good bookstores and support your local. And like I said, overseas, it's available through Book Depository and it will be available on Amazon um, in October. That's so exciting. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gaz. Thank you for having <laughs> me. What a lovely interview. Oh, what a treat. Love your work, Anne. Talk to you later. You. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Romy Hooper. You've been listening to Sound Salad for all things spoken and all things heard. To hear more Sound Salad episodes, go to www.soundsalad.co.nz. This has been brought to you by my gold sponsor, Audiobooks NZ. Check out their library at www.audiobooksnz.co.nz.